when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. How you doing, Internet? It is Monday, October 9th, and you are listening to Waypoint Radio. I wanted to make sure I was doing that right, Monday, October 9th. I said it, and then I was like, was that right? I think it felt right. I think that was correct. Monday, October 9th, you're listening to Waypoint Radio. Austin does not have internet, so you're getting me as your host, uh, Danielle Riendo. That would be me. I am joined by Patrick Klepek. Hello, hello. And Rob Zachney. What's good, internet? <laughs> I see. I can't do it. Nobody would ever believe it if I said it. We had we uh, Daniel. We had a conversation about this on the Friday show. You um, did. Uh, and Austin disputes this idea that you were that others, uh, not just you, but just others, are allowed to use the the what's good, the peace. He wants to encourage the the free form use of ideas on the podcast. Um, I see. So just think about it. No, no pressure. All right. You know, it's, but uh, it's it has been bestowed upon the rest of us after Rob okay. ro- after Rob has just been reclaiming it on his own. <laughs> Uh, well, right, panicking, really. Like, you know, things are happening around me. The the, the pod is unsettled. And uh, I just, you know, I just swim for swim for safety, uh, basically. Yeah. You got to swim for peace, swim for safety. I understand. I guess I sort of want to make, make my own mark on the world, you know, with my own excellent and very new <laughs> phrases like, how you doing? Uh, but, uh, you know, that's good. That's good to know. If I'm feeling... The vibe next time I, I'm hosting, I'm, I might go for a what's good. Yeah, I might not, go you for don't it. have to do it. It's just one of those like I feel like a what's good internet. Like yeah, you can do it. It's it, the, the choice is yours. All uh, right, well I'm, I'm very happy to know that. The, please, it seemed sort of like for a brief moment of time on Friday though that your choice was to not go to your destination. I was <laughs> fearful watching t- t- Twitter. I was and it hopped in my car. I was going to Wisconsin for a family. Uh, uh, meetup thing, and all of a sudden I check Twitter, uh, and it, it you were going to a yeah. very important family thing this weekend, and yes. it appeared you had made a terrible error in getting on a bus. <laughs> yes, I don't know the well, conclusion I mean, to this, so I need you to guide me through what happened. All right, let me let me let me paint you the picture. So I was going to a, a wake in Rhode Island, uh, and the funeral was the next day, and uh, so I get on the bus. By the way, just just to paint, you know, paint this fully, the uh, you know, the 42nd Street bus terminal in uh, in Manhattan is a bananas ass place. There's like hundreds of of places, you know, where you can get on a bus. It's just a really 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 busy bus depot. Uh, however, I've taken this bus several times. You know, I I my parents still live in Rhode Island. I see them pretty often, at least every other month or so. And like, you know, I've done this before, right? Maybe I'm a little bit emotional and upset because it's, you know, I, it's a death in the family and whatever. But, like, I get there on time. I have, you know, several minutes to uh, go and, like, get a snack and all sorts of things. I made sure I was at the right gate, which was gate 17, for the record. And, uh, you know, I'm there on time. And the guy scans my ticket, and I get on the bus. He scanned the ticket. This is very important. I saw the green light of the scan. Like, he looked. He, he made eye contact with me. He scanned the ticket, of which was the proper ticket. And I get on the bus and I'm kind of sitting there on the bus, you know, I'm kind of hanging out for a while. And then I'm like, this, this doesn't look like (laughs) the right route. I looked on Google Maps and I was on the Jersey Turnpike. For those of you who don't know, the Jersey Turnpike is in the opposite direction of where you would go to go to Rhode Island. You go west to go to the Jersey Turnpike. You go east. You know, it's like east by northeast to go to Rhode Island. I had gone straight west and I was kind of like, shit. Did I get on the wrong bus? And I went through this whole mental checklist of like, no, it was gate 17. I'm positive I was at gate 17. I'm positive he scanned my ticket and it was green. And he gave me like, you know, like the eye contact kind of thing. 
So I started freaking out and I was like, what did I do wrong? I like recounted my steps. I'm kind of like, oh my God, oh my God, did I, did I do this? Now I've made some mistakes in my life with travel. I have overslept, you know, past like my proper stop on trains and buses. I have, I have missed one plane in my life. You know, there have been mistakes made. So I was kind of like, oh man, did, did I do this? So for, for a good like half an hour, I was like, okay. I definitely got on the wrong bus and I started <laughs> tweeting about it and people were like, no, you, there's no way, there's no reason on earth you'd be on the Jersey Turnpike to go to Rhode Island. That's the opposite direction. Something went wrong. So I'm like freaking out and freaking out. And then all of a sudden I see the connector. There's like an east-west connector. It's like 287 or 278, one of those. And I was like, okay, there is a remote possibility that to avoid some of the traffic on 95, that they have taken this bananas insane but route. they've never taken that route while you've ridden that bus. They've never done like that before. Manhattan. No. Yeah, it's always been, you know, they've definitely taken some different roads, that kind of thing, but it's not like there's that many choices, really, you know? <laughs> so that is what ended up happening. They did actually end up taking the bananas route to kind of just get around some traffic. It was holiday weekend traffic. It was awful. The the I missed the wake. Like, it was, it was two hours late getting Wait, in. Yeah, even with this crazy inversion of the route, I was still two hours late and totally missed the wake. Well, I thought it was so, the next. I thought it was the next day. Well, the funeral was the next day, but the oh, wake was that night. Oh, oh, so, oh, 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 oh. yeah, it. Catholic, Catholic service. So there's I, extras. You know, I, I've been, yeah, I've, I've, yeah, I've been to plenty of. You've those. done that one. Yeah, You've done that one. Yeah. So absolutely. I had so, I uh, had one time where uh, I the one time I've like uh, just genuinely. So I've missed a flight twice. Once I overslept, um, and then the other time. I showed up uh, to the... This is actually uh, after E3 one year. I showed up to the okay. airport to uh, check into my flight, and they're like... You, you know, the, the reader was like, uh, your flight was like five hours ago. And I was like, what? oh. Huh. And so I just, I had written it down wrong, or maybe like I like had been temp book for one flight, and then it switched. Like I don't remember the, the machinations oh, that yeah. led to that moment. But I actually couldn't get upset at myself because I was like, is this one on me? Is this my fault when I genuinely believed the flight was a different time? Like, it wasn't like, oh, I didn't get in the cab early enough. Oh, like, I, yeah. you know, like it wasn't something where, like, I kind of dicked around and then suddenly, like, ah, it bit me in the ass. Like, I just thought, nope, my flight was at 3.30. Turns out it was at 11.15. So, like, who's this on? <laughs> Whose fault is this really? Unfortunately, because it was uh, LAX, it's like I mean, I just jumped on you know the next flight. Something and else. I was yeah. I was fine, but uh, I think that, yeah. And the other time, I just overslept, um, uh, and it didn't end up being too traumatic. Rob, have you have you had like a, a travel mishaps as well? Uh, I was once too drunk to fly on a plane. <laughs> <laughs> like like they told you you couldn't get on. No. You uh, made the decision. The, you made no, the call. No? Uh, oh. Um, so <laughs> I arrived at check-in, and it was one of those things where, um, so I was in a hurry, uh, which is where things started to go wrong. Yeah, had, um, that's bad. I'd been oh, drinking yeah. with friends, and I had to catch a flight, uh, so we did one last round, but let's make it a quick one, which basically meant me pouring... Uh, just an entire cocktail uh, down my throat <laughs> all at once. Uh, when it turns out, Rob. I was probably already set. Like you know what I mean? I was probably pleasantly buzzed. And then this, this is this just... is like when you're at the bar and then like they say last call, which is for mo for what you should do is we should pack up our shit and go. And then you occasionally make that mistake of that means we should get one more drink. It's last call, mm. and you just don't you. In almost in every situation, you do not need that last drink at two in the morning. <laughs> yeah, and this has been um, so. This was the conclusion of a very weird uh, trip, anyway, where I've been like behind on a bunch of work, so I checked into the Cliff Hotel in San Francisco at the end of a trip, mm -hmm. and uh, just like locked myself in a very nice hotel room and just wrote. And actually, that worked. It worked really well. It was like the most uh, you know traveling writer thing I've ever done, right? It's like, no, 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 yeah. I must go to my hotel <laughs> and lock myself with my drafts. Uh, and it was, and it, it, it worked really well. And then I saw uh, some friends uh, at the end of that trip and yeah, should have, should have called it, didn't, uh, basically tried to cram one more drink in there. Oof. And uh, then I was like, oh shit, I got to get to the airport. <laughs> and oh, no. things began to go wrong quickly. 
Uh, <laughs> one is that, like, so from the, I'm walking down the hill with my luggage, and I am getting, like, noticeably drunker uh, oh, as no. I, like, leave Union Square behind me, and I get on the BART. And the BART is, of course, running a little bit late anyway. Sure. Uh, and then I start yeah. getting nervous about missing my stop. Uh, and so, because I'm almost dozing off the train. Uh, oh. So I, just in a panic, just get off the train uh, somewhere. Oh. And uh, I realized that I was actually two stops from SFO. Uh, <laughs> called an Uber. You're in Daly City or something? Yeah, actually, I think that's exactly where I was. Yeah. Uh, and so call an Uber. Um, can't find the Uber because I've suddenly become very nearsighted. Um, have trouble oh, no. locating the Uber. Uh, eventually do. Um, and I'm taken to SFO. Still have time to make my flight. Uh, but as I uh, walk up to check in, and I'm like, "Do I have time to make that flight?" <laughs> uh, the women at the Virgin uh, check-in uh, turn the, the the luggage check sort of look at each other, look at me, and are like, "Um, no, that's probably not a real good idea." Aww. Uh, Aww. <laughs> These two nice ladies said that we're going to intervene here. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna br- we're gonna bring you back a notch, and you're gonna go on that next flight. Yeah, uh, which, well, they didn't really do that. They are like, maybe you can catch the one in the oh, morning. Okay. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. They were oh, like, check, in, check back here for the, uh, for, for, the, for the 8.30. And I was like, cool, well, can I just uh, go into the terminal? And they are like, hmm, maybe not such a good idea. <laughs> uh, and I was like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> and so I ended up hanging out uh, by the baggage claim in SFO, uh, for the entire night. Oh, no. Uh, as I began to sober up. And it was the worst. Like, first of all, that baggage claim, uh, like, they've redone Terminal 2 pretty nicely and all that. But that baggage claim is old as hell. There's, like, 25 years worth of, like, grime uh, oh. in, in that place. I'm just hanging out on the floor, uh, you know, tr- changing Wi-Fi networks, basically. <laughs> uh, slowly sweating out this, like, hellacious... Uh, Sludge. Oh, yeah. Boy. Like, look, it was it was gross down there, but I was probably not contributing anything positive <laughs> uh, to the situation at uh, SFO. So in the morning, uh, they they finally let me through, and I'm now stone cold sober, um, and just feeling utterly awful. Uh, yeah. And then I sort of begged my way onto a flight, and uh, then my editor emails me and is like. Hey, drafts look great. Uh, I need all these changes and rewrites. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, uh, hungover, uh, just drenched in my own alcohol sweat, uh, I had to basically spend the entire flight back to Boston uh, like doing pretty nitty-gritty edits on a pair of 2,000-word features. Oh boy! Um, oh my while God. we're like, yeah, while I've got like a middle seat and oh, the flight is bumpy, and, yeah, it was one of the worst travel experiences of my life, and it all stemmed from the fact that I just like, if I just hadn't had that drink, oh. everything <laughs> would have been fine. That one decision, that one yeah. decision, that was all it took. Yeah. Oh my lord! So I, anyway, I, uh, yeah, God. That sounds atrocious. I next next time we talk about travel mishaps, I'll tell you about the time I spent twenty two hours in LAX, gross, uh, oh, trying God. to get a one hour flight back to San Francisco. Ah, it was that was wanna, bad, but I don't know if I it feel was like, as bad. I feel like you told me enough. I don't twenty two hours. Yeah. About that. I think, I, yeah. think it, I think that that beats my story just in terms no. of sheer quantity. No, but you <laughs> suffered, Rob. You suffered. You. It sounds like not you as really... much as the kindly middle aged woman next to me did. Oh. <laughs> Oh, that's, think, you know. I think I had a bad flight. I think she had, like, a legendarily, like, hell tour of the sky. Oh, God. Like. Hell tumor of the sky. I think we have our episode title. I uh, think that that's situated. That's, that's pretty good. Um, well, you know, not to talk about uh, travel mishaps any longer, because, you know, we, we could have a whole podcast about that. Uh, but let's talk, Patrick. I know you wrote about this last week, but let's talk about the uh, the hot topic of the day here: is loot boxes 
and kind of what's going <laughs> on with that. I know the Forza, actual topic. We're not talking you know, about we're talking about hell tumors. We're talking about hell tumors here. So let's talk about loot boxes and how they're used. In, uh, and I know it's it's uh, the new Shadow of... It's not Shadow of Mordor, it's Shadow Sh- of War. Shadow of War, yeah. yeah. They so, yeah. really missed an opportunity of calling it Shadow of War Door. I'm just going to call it. I'm just or saying. Or Shadow of Moor Door. Oh, fuck you, oh. Rob. Come oh, on. Oh, boy. Shadow Accurate. Of you, Shadow of Moor Accurate. Door. Hey, oh. What's up, Danielle? You like Accurate. that one? Accurate. I loved it. I am, I'm writing down a little note. Tell him. I mean, my dad would really appreciate that. I'm just saying. Uh, I'm going to go wake my yeah. kid up so I can get out of this podcast. <laughs> uh, she woke up. I uh, got to go. Oh, that's, she, that, she's that, screaming. That pun was so bad that my, my kid felt it reverberate through the microphones and into her crib. And now she's awake. Um, yeah, so actually, so it's, uh, it's I, you know, I think this is going to be a sort of regular topic um, for video games, at least for the foreseeable future. Um, so if people aren't familiar with the concept of loot crates or loot boxes, um, they sort of not originated, but were certainly popularized in a lot of free-to-play games uh, like League of Legends or, or, or Dota, Dota especially has a huge economy uh, based around the idea that the game is free and that you are uh, opening these boxes that give you uh, often aesthetic uh, sort of things like different skins or different skins for a weapon. You know, the, the, the idea being that you can look cooler um, even if the base game is uh, sort of free for everyone and, and these aesthetic things are often used as like the main underwriting of like the development budget and all the other stuff that goes in into these games. Um, but they've uh, over time started making their way into uh, like full priced products um, and, and it seems like in 2017 and especially this fall is where this is coming to a head. It's not that uh, loot crates haven't been in previous games. Overwatch has made a ton of money and been very successful in deploying uh, loot crates. That is that that is a. I don't think Overwatch is sixty dollars, right? Is it? I don't. Mm, but it's. Uh, it might have been. I think. Let's see. It's not free. On, I'll, I, it's, I'll, I'll, I'll just say yeah. it's not free, right? So it's not free, and and often people um, uh, made their peace with uh, loot crates because uh, in a free-to-play game, it was understandable that. Uh, you had to have some sort of revenue stream that wasn't just like plastering ads um, on loading screens and things like that. So I think yeah, it looks it, like there's a forty dollar edition and a sixty dollar edition. So it's okay. one of those. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I think you know people largely, even if they like had sort of ethical issues, which I think a lot of people, including myself, have ethical quandaries with the idea of loot crates and how they are explicitly gambling for all ages, as opposed to <laughs> the way gambling laws yeah. often work. Um, <laughs> and so this is really has come to a head this fall, um, and two games have been under. A lot of scrutiny, both Forza Motorsport 7 uh, and uh, Shadow of War. Um, Shadow of War uh, in particular because in order to unlock the quote-unquote true ending for the game, um, you have to participate in a post-game event. Um, you know, one of the criticisms people had of, uh, uh, what was the one before Sh- Shadow of Mordor? Was that what was the other one before? Yes, Shad- yeah. yeah. Uh, was that once you beat the game, like, you enjoy, like, people wanted more things to do in the world. And so they made this uh, post-game event um, that involves sort of, uh, once you've uh, sort of uh, captured these castles in uh, Shadow of War, that you have to then defend them from armies. So it flips the script on a, on one of the events that you're commonly doing in the main game. Um, but in order to continue to protect those strongholds, you need, like, really high-powered orcs. And there was some criticism in a number of reviews that said in order to do that at a pace that didn't feel extremely grindy, uh, that you had to participate in the loot box uh, uh, sort of structure they'd implemented in the game and that yes you can spend in-game currency but eventually you start running into a wall and then you have to spend that uh, spend real money in order to do it at a pace that doesn't feel really dragged out uh, Forza Motorsport 7 um, their whole in-game car model is b- built around the idea of like you literally are opening loot boxes to get cars um, and that uh has come under uh, scrutiny. Also in Shadow of War, you can get weapons and gear through uh, different loot crates. Uh, it's not just the orcs that end up staffing uh, the different uh, strongholds you had. So uh, so that was the context in which I wrote a story that that those games were... Uh, the, the argument I put forth, other than outlining how the, the mechanics uh, of those marketplaces work, is that um, in the same way that games that poorly did things like microtransactions and season passes ended up poisoning the well for games that maybe didn't do it egregiously or just found mm-hmm. it as a way to sort of seamlessly um, put in like an additional revenue stream that didn't upset the balance of the game design. Um, that Shadow of War and Forza Motorsport 7 were introducing the idea that 
any game that introduces the idea of loot crates in the future was going to come under such scrutiny that the fear, the mere fact that it exists in the product is going to be a net negative regardless of how they implement it, regardless of how it's perceived by players. And you're seeing today um, Battlefront 2 is under a lot of scrutiny and people are already uh, sort of tearing apart screenshots for Assassin's Creed Origins um, as a game that has uh, some of its own sort of uh, crates, and this is before everyone knows exactly how it's going. I think actually Battlefront Two is a different situation because it had a beta in which there were crates, and people are starting to figure out design-wise how it's implemented. Whereas with Origins, people are starting to presuppose how it might work um, because people, I think, rightly so, are going to start assuming the worst when it comes to the implementation of uh, this mechanic and this revenue stream. So that's a long way of setting up sort of where this conversation is at. No, and I should put an aside that. Um, Open Critic, which is sort of a uh, rival or uh, alternative to Metacritic as a way of aggregating um, reviews, is talking about uh, including uh, in the way they structure how they highlight games and how they're uh, sort of looked at critically, is introducing uh, business models as something for uh, people who use that website to look at, which I think is at least an interesting idea. So uh, that sets it up. But uh, Rob, Danielle, I, have you, what, what's sort of like your guttural reaction to uh, so this so far? I'll let, I'll let Rob speak because I, I actually haven't, it's weird, I haven't played a ton of games that have used this you know, extensively. Probably the most has been Overwatch and I don't have a 20th of the hours in Overwatch as it seems like everybody else who's ever touched that game. So I don't, I don't have the strongest personal feelings on it because I haven't really had to sort of grapple with it myself. So, Rob, I wonder if you have stronger feelings on it. I mean, in general, I I tend not to because in most cases, this stuff still feels pretty easy to opt out of or ignore. Like, it's clearly part of uh, Forza 7, and, like, the game certainly does its best to remind you that, you know, this system is in there and exists... Uh, but it's also pretty easy to, at least so far, to sort of tune out and just focus on basically playing the same Forza that I've always played, right? Just focus on racing, racing, uh, playing series. And I don't really need to worry too much uh, about this about this system. On the other hand, maybe, maybe it is revealing that a lot of the cars uh, I, I have tended to use the most came out of the initial VIP packs. Uh, mm-hmm. that, you know that, I, that yeah. I unlocked. So, you know, even there, maybe the game experience has been changed a little bit by the system existing. Where, what I don't love is that. So a lot of these systems, uh, you know, were sort of uh, you know for field tested first and most extensively, in uh, you know particularly like in China in free to play uh, MMOs, right? Like I remember you know 6 7 years ago there being uh some pr- a, a lot of a lot of stories and, and critiques about some of the sort of uh you know slot machine and pay to win uh microtransaction models you were starting to see in MMOs uh in East Asia and some of them were pretty exploitative and terrible uh and at the time there was a lot of you know there's a lot of concern and hand wringing about what this was going to spell for uh you know where games were headed uh, you know, online and in, you know, the United States and Europe. And it does sort of seem like a lot of that stuff has been uh, successfully imported. Uh, most no- notably, like, it's happening in premium, like, full-price games. And where a game like Shadow of Mordor seems to be... Shadow, sorry, sorry Shadow of War. <laughs> <laughs> Mordor, okay? More. Just, just call it more, all right? <laughs> yeah, uh, Shadow of More. Um, where it seems to sort of be taking an extra step is it seems like it's specifically tuned to be less enjoyable, uh, more fussy, more frustrating, unless you start springing for uh, the loot boxes. And that's where things start to feel a little bit weird. Like, cosmetics always felt more acceptable in some ways, just because it didn't feel like... The cosmetics always felt like the skin you put on the thing you were playing, but it wasn't necessarily the thing. Right. And whether that's right or wrong, that's that's how I always sort of read it. Uh, but once, like the experience, once they are, once it starts to feel like, oh, they are specifically tuning to make my experience less enjoyable if I just bought the game, mm. and 
it's well there's just no way to know right so yeah. that's yeah. i think that's that's what i was mm. ultimately getting at with the story is that the the way it poisons the well is that the sheer existence of uh loot crates presuppose like it puts it plants in people's mind there's no actual way to know cuz the whatever they tell you there's just as much reason to think that a publisher is lying to you like <laughs> i you know i've talked to a lot of developers over the years like these sorts of uh, implementations uh, are not usually like my guess is I don't know this for a fact but my guess is the Shadow of War team if they could wave a magic wand would take all this shit out of the game because it, it has completely distracted from everything they've wanted to talk about the game uh, yeah. leading up to its release now by most accounts like it's still a pretty good game but it is overshadowed shat mmm mm. <laughs> it is mmm there is a conversation happening around it that is sort of like blurring all of that now it's not that I like, oh, no, like, Shadow of War's marketing campaign isn't as effective as they'd like it to be. But um, it's there's almost no way to take developers, publishers at uh, face value when they say, oh, we didn't tinker with the design of the game to accommodate these this new revenue stream. Because how are you – because, one, it could happen subconsciously. Like, it may actually uh, impact things in a way that developers do not intend, but by virtue of ta- uh, accounting for it, it ends up impacting the game. And then there's no way to take out the cynical version in your mind, which is that actually the marketing team, the publisher side, stepped in and said, we need you to extend the grind here because our analytics have shown. Because like you have to remember, this is 2017. We There is a deep amount of understanding of player behavior that goes to a, a really creepy level um, where they may know like the exact way it, through focus testing while these games are in development well if we make the grind this way we can art you know this amount of time we can argue to players that like most people can reasonably get around it but we know or can presuppose that x number of players will default to paying to get through it faster and that's insidious like that's that's a really gross if uh, it may be a uh, valid from a public perspective but like it is a cre- incredibly gross way to start to sort of think about player behavior and i'm not saying that the teams at shadow of war did this but i think it's reasonable on the side of the players hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little so naturally when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you that's right we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com to start thinking in those terms because there's no reason to not think that they haven't thought about in those terms. And once you've framed it that way, it's pretty much impossible to get away from it. Um, you know, this these same sorts of conversations happen around DRM, um, which is why you have like folks like CD Projekt Red getting, you know, so much praise for just saying, eh, we're just not going to put DRM in our games. Now, they didn't, they didn't start there. They had DRM in their games. Uh, the Witcher 2, I believe, had DRM that was performance uh, 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 detrimental to, to the, the game actually performing well on people's machines, which is, force them to pivot but um and i think this runs uh, part of what uh i think complicates this is that there also is a cottage industry for finding anything that you can get outraged about and then like whip it up (laughs) right like this happens on reddit this happens on neogaf this happens on twitter um where like it takes an angle of oh like there is a reason to be critical of this and then it becomes like inflamed in a way that is it is perhaps uh greater um than uh was uh necessary but i don't know that that's necessarily the case for this i think there's plenty of reason to be deeply critical of the way loot boxes are are handled in games yeah i would i would tend to agree with that that sounds both reasonable and also god i don't know i i this is one of those things I feel like I should have a stronger opinion about because it feels like this is a sort of consumerist or or consumer and or anti-consumer sort of issue at, at its heart uh, in a way. So this is just something I just need to do more homework on uh, personally. But yeah, sound, Rob, sounds like you had something to say there. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I guess like it seems like anti-consumer or it seems like a consumerist thing, but like, again... How much do you are you or I like really give a shit? 
Like we play, we play <laughs> these games. We're not busting out our credit card, being like, "Oh damn!" Like you know, this is this grind is starting to get to me. I better pay money to get, uh, you know, a loot crate so I can be- get a better car or or better weapon. I don't. That's either of us. Like the people who are like the thing that co- the thing that does concern me is that increasingly all games, no matter what platform you're buying them for, are going to be designed around the concept of whales. Uh, right, the people who yeah. are like willing to just feed in cash to a game endlessly, and everyone else, uh, the, you know, the experience isn't really, it isn't really for them anymore. Right, it's it's for the people who are willing to throw away a great deal of money uh, on these games. But at the same time, like the way these systems are cropping up in most games, I encounter them, um, it's still kind of ignorable. Like I still don't feel. Like there's you know a, a design gun to my head, uh, <laughs> forcing me to do this, and and so to an extent, like I, I I've always had the suspicion that the people who are most outraged, the people who are most like, you know, they're nickel and diming me, they're, they're they're not respecting my time. I've always had the suspicion that those same people who are most outraged are also the ones who are feeding their credit card numbers into these systems <laughs> like I've always I've always nursed that suspicion and I've always sort of like wondered is this just a problem for the people who can't resist the you know the call of these the slot call. machines well that, that's that's like a that's like a much larger ethical question because yes yeah. okay on the one hand um you know I think the, the you know the famous example of something it's not quite analogous but when they were removing private servers from Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 on the PC, um, there was a Steam group that was created for, like, we're uh, not going to buy this game. We are we are protesting the release of Modern Warfare 2. And then the day of release, there was a screenshot of everyone in that group was, play- was playing Modern Warfare 2. <laughs> um, in which, like, often, like, the outrage over it perceived injustices in video games, and this, ra- you know, runs the gamut, like not just financial, just all sorts of things. Um, people at the end of the day will still end up buying, like it's a lot easier to, you know, sign a petition. This is, this is true a lot of things in life. A lot easier to sign that petition or say something on Twitter than to actually put that into action and deprive, to, like, deprive yourself of that game. But I think loot boxes, especially uh, given the amount of psychological data we have about player behavior, like there is a, like, there are reasons, there are laws in place for slot machines and gambling in which like, like, even uh, for adults, like there is predatory behavior to take advantage of people who are unwilling or are susceptible to the exploits of psychological based um, sort of games and experiences. And there's a reason we have regulations in place to protect at least younger people who are not old enough to hopefully, you know, make responsible decisions for themselves. Um, but I think there's like a real question that like games are possibly skating on like really thin ice that it's it's one step away from the government sort of realizing this shit is going on because like all loot boxes are really doing is hiding a slot machine. And at the point that that becomes nakedly true, like how do, like what is the argument that someone doesn't step in and say, if this game can be played by people under 18, that loot crates can't exist in a system like that. Like it is a slot machine. Like I don't, I don't know how at some point video games don't come under like rightful criticism for including this as a revenue stream. So we'll well, see. if you're going to take it to that more macro level, then yeah, it sure as hell gets. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, but you're, you're right. I mean, you're, you're also right that like there are plenty of people that, like I said, like it's easy to bitch, and then you you you're, you may be the, the people that criticize something the loudest may be the ones participating in themselves. Um, that is not unique to <laughs> microtransactions or loot boxes or anything else in life. Um, often, if you have super strongly held beliefs, there may be a chance that you are acting contradictory in your private life um, and, and, and the actions you choose. Yeah. So, um, This could be a case of, that could be a, a reason for a mature or whatever rating. You know, like, oh, this game contains gambling. Should That sounds like a very legitimate reason to say, oh yeah, this is not a child-friendly game. Like, there's legitimate gambling in here. There is basically a slot machine within this game, so uh, not for anybody under 18. Or maybe it gets whatever, age-gated whatever in, in, in a way is. where some, somehow, yeah. like, if a game yeah. is for teens, you know, like, Overwatch is a very, um, you know, despite being a first-person shooter, like, it's 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 a, you know, it's not especially Pretty friendly grotesque. game. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In terms of the violence portrayed, so maybe there's a world where the middle ground on this is 
it's age gated, but of course we all know like age gating is basically bullshit. Like, He's nothing. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, how are they actually going to enforce that? Like, is uh, unless you have parents that are actually going in and setting the parental controls, which while well, I'm glad it's that's an actual exists, password. Yeah. You know, like I I I, I have my suspicions uh, about how many parents are actually uh, going in and and doing stuff like that. So I yeah I don't know. I I think this stuff isn't going away. I, I think it is it is reaching. Uh, 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 sort of a, a fever pitch at the moment, but I'm not going to be surprised if this is something that we're revisiting and that we don't see some backpedaling of for games that are coming out in 2018, or at least maybe a more interesting, thoughtful approach, or hiding it better, <laughs> maybe actually yeah. be uh, what, what happens. But, I mean, I think you're going to see that every... Like, if I was interviewing a major developer of a game in 2018, one of the questions that I'm going to feel obligated to ask is... Does your game have loot boxes, and how are you thinking of implementing that stuff? And I think every developer going forward is going to be on the hot seat and needs to... Uh, and then that's that's useful, right? Like, that if, yeah. if they think they're going to get under public scrutiny, they should be under public scrutiny, and so they're going to have to have better answers, um, both internally and externally, for um, when people come asking why they're, why they're doing stuff like that. Yeah. More than fair. Children should not be whales. I guess that's a... No, yeah, the statement I can I can easily come out of this with and put my foot down and say children should not be whales. Hard hitting statement from Danielle Riendo. <laughs> children should not be whales. Exactly, uh, Rob. Any further thoughts on this, or should we move on to our awesome mailbag? Harvest them and extract their oil. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is Dishonored Day. Too much Dishonored. You Happy know? Dishonored Halloween, everybody. <laughs> Yay! Wow, that's, well, that's a deep, that's a deep cut idle thumbs joke that you guys are crossing over into. I, you uh, know. It's Waypoint Radio. We're not going to explain that. You go figure it out yourself. That's your own yeah, little. Pu- that's your own ARG to figure out today. <laughs> exactly. Go to idlethumbs.net. Um, so we have a shadow of Mordor question right at the top here. Good. None unless of us have played asked, that game. Unless you asked it on uh, on Friday, I apologize. I, didn't, I did not listen to the podcast on Friday. I admit it, and I am ashamed. But, uh, uh, no, I, I think we're I think we're in the clear for a question like that. All right, great, great. So this is from Dan from uh, St. Louis. Dan says, "Happy hundredth episode. Love hearing you guys. You've been good and been good at it. So thank you for that. Thank you, Dan. That's very nice. All right, here's a question: With Shadow of War less than two weeks away, do any of you remember who your nemesis was from Shadow of Mordor? Mm. I didn't really play no. it that much. No. Nope. So, nope. I mean, I really like I really liked that game, and I yeah. I, th- I thought that system was really well done. But I, mm, yeah, I don't I don't remember it specifically enough to 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 say I had like this feels like a very Austin question. I feel bad that Austin's not here. Like yeah. I feel like he immediately would have some like seven minute story about. <laughs> that he is mythologized uh, about like his experience in Shadow of War. I don't know if that's true. It just feels like, <laughs> in my heart of hearts, that's that some somewhere uh, Austin has a, a big long story of like harm the reckoning, chase him across <laughs> the map. Yeah, harm the reckoning definitely did something terrible to Austin. There's a, there's a, there's a reason I don't come up with branding and names and host a. a t- a D&D podcast. Harm the Reckoning is the kind of names I would come up with. So. I mean, that's the kind of name that was definitely in that game, though. So I mean, Yeah, that's... Yeah, that is, that is <laughs> I don't think you're off. <laughs> probably true. Um, but here, this would be good if... Because um, that game comes out this week or next week. Uh, yeah, very soon. But if, um, if people have stories of their own... Uh, like it, let's let's flip. Let's put the onus on you, the podcast listener. Uh, if you have good <laughs> stories uh, from that game uh, about sort of an experience you had... Um, with your uh, with your own harm, the reckoning. Uh, please, <laughs> please write in and let us know because I would be curious to hear some of those stories. And so maybe we'll hold that uh, for for Friday, and we can revisit it with Austin if he if he has a particularly good story. Yeah, I think that's that's good. That, that works for me. All right. Uh, so the next one here comes from Ben from Indiana, and uh, Ben writes: During some other Waypoint Radio, you talked about a game with a hidden morality meter, and it got me thinking. Are there any games with moral choices where you really get ahead by being a villain? People can cheat and scam in real life because if you could do it right, it'll make you a millionaire. Or can make you a millionaire, rather. Uh, Games seem to offer the normal person, quote, good route, and another option to be a big teen snark toolbox that is supposed to be evil. Shouldn't choosing to get ahead at any cost really let you get ahead or alternatively punish you for getting caught? Love the show, Ben from Indiana. Hmm. I mean, I think that is like a general problem in games that they don't yeah. make. I wish they made the evil path more 
compelling to fight to fight against the the, the like the general nature of most players, which is to be you know the, the Han Solo type of like you generally Lovable good, rogue. But a, yeah, yeah, but occasionally a dick. Um, and <laughs> I, I I I wished more. I mean, this, it was the. Um, uh, was that RPG? Was it from Obsidian? Like, what, there was the game that was about being evil. Um, from last year. Oh, what was that game? Uh, oh, uh, Tyranny. Yeah, yes. right. Yes. Isn't that that game like sort of explicitly about like, hey, yeah. you're just a, you're just the bad guy. Yeah, up to a point. Like as I understand it, it's more the setup is you are you're you're not so much the villain as you are like the villain's primary enforcer, right? You're like conciliary okay. to the devil. Uh and within that you can decide like yeah, you're dealing with you're dealing on a spectrum of evil, but you can sort of decide what brand of evil, right? Like right. are you going to be more the Machiavellian like, well, we're going to have a well, <laughs> we're going to have a nice orderly uh, <laughs> evil that like works for most people. Uh or are you going to be some sort of like, you know, Chaos God Slanesh type character, just like yes, let's feast on the blood of innocence. Yeah, I think that's probably the at least in my experience when I've played games that that present me with those options. I I think the best way to force the, the player's hand is to just pitch it as the, like they are evil to begin with. Like if you if you're starting from that angle and they're still going to at least the spectrum happens on from that perspective as opposed to how I think most people play which is like oh I'll do the good path the good Han Solo path and then on my second playthrough I'll be the asshole just to see how the the changes you know the the choices are different um, and and stuff like that so I I just know it's one of those things where the game needs to be heavily tilted in a certain direction for my player behavior to change and not enough games actually force my hand in that way especially as someone that tends to only play a game once I, I wish more games like found ways to, to bend and break me. Like, I'm actually curious to see how um, the next game from Don't Nod, the Life is Strange folks, is a game called Vampire, um, which is, it's a, you know, a Life is Strange style game in which you play as a vampire and you will choose your victims, I guess. I haven't seen much about how the actual mechanics of the game play out, but it seems like that may be a, a game that tries to do something similar to Tyranny, where it's like, well, you're a vampire, so... Like, you're going to fucking kill people. Uh, but, like, how you choose to do, like, does that mean you're, like, a good vampire that's, like, helping solve mysteries by, like, sucking the blood of, like, serial killers? Like, I don't know what the, <laughs> the, the angle is going to be there, but at least that seems like a game. And I wish more games would um, come from that perspective. Um, not because like, I necessarily need to, like, get into the head of evil, but I, I it would be nice if more games found a way to at least provide, like, a meaningful reason to want to engage with that side of it, just because that's just almost never what I end up doing. Yeah, I I can only think of smaller games that do this in interesting ways. Uh, And it's not an explicit morality system, but, like, um, J.B. Gwaltney, who now is at Game Informer, I think? uh, He wrote a sort of an IF game that was called The Terror Aboard the Speedwell. It was basically an alien-esque scenario, and there was an option you could take sort of right at the beginning of the game. Somebody... You know, you're basically in, it's basically alien, and, you know, somebody comes, and they're like, oh my god, I got infected, and you just shoot them. Like, that's an option, to just just shoot the person, and the and the story actually really supports that, and goes in that direction, and it's amazing that it does that. And that's, it's pretty rare uh, in bigger games to, to really kind of go for it, and really kind of support, I don't know, to support the path that you're really on, uh, or support, like, a really radical choice right at the beginning. That's... That's really rare, and I understand why. I know, you know, these games are expensive, and if you make content, you want people to see it, and so on and so forth. But I respect the hell out of it, uh, any developer who kind of goes all the way with something and actually sort of commits to a story path. So, yeah, that's about the only one I can think of. Yeah, I mean, I think that speaks to, like, the lack of, like, that sort of meaningful option in games it's hard to think it's, of. <laughs> it's a really interesting question that we have few, very few answers to because I think most most games put in understandably so because this is where most player paths go down is making the goodish path like really satisfying and uh, not enough time but I mean maybe that happens because they presuppose because player data says like why yeah. why put as much effort into that side because most players are going to err on the side of goodish anyway, which is where I, that's why I land on, like, if you just restrict that, if you take that away from players, um, that's maybe the only way to, to sort of guarantee they'll head in that direction. 
Yeah, very true. I completely on this topic, but slightly random. I've always wondered if that is like a culturally dependent thing. Or if all players everywhere kind of go down that path. Yeah, general. maybe. Yeah. Or like, oh, yeah. this is a Western thing or an American thing even where like the Han Solo sort of archetype is more attractive to us than other cultures. I don't know. I'm just, that's just a complete random thought. But I've always wondered. I've always wanted to like see a complete analysis of like player behavior in morality systems like across the world. Uh, anyway, I don't know at all. That was just putting that question out there. Let's do one more question. Uh, and this one comes from Matthew. And Matthew writes, hey, Waypoint, I was reading old video game magazines and found a piece from Woke Gamer himself. Mm. Uh, wait, have you read this one already? Mm. Actually, no, I think we did. This was about you playing WoW. I remember this question. Oh, yeah. I yes, remember this did, question. We did, All right. we did do this one, yeah. Sorry, this one hadn't been erased. Uh, you know, Austin's fault. Blame, blame, blame Austin. Austin. I'm, blame I'm Austin. Fully on board with that. What happened to be good, Austin? <laughs> yeah. You know? All right, let's see. Let's see. There's a good one here. This one looks, uh, this is a good, this is a heavy one. Are we ready for a heavy one? I'm sure, end on yeah. a, End on a heavy one. This one's from Andy. Andy writes, I'm struggling a bit this week with the concept you spoke of regarding the concept of uh, someone's work not being separate from the person themselves. I uh, hope you understand what I'm referring to. It's been one of those days. I've stopped quoting Bill Cosby's stand-up, for example. That was something I used to do a lot, and it's something I have to consciously think about sometimes now, but I've never questioned that decision. It's the right thing to do. But what about things like Minecraft or Oculus? Those guys pretty much suck, but Minecraft is huge and connects people and teaches children. Oculus has been pushing VR forward ever since it got started. Those things did a lot of good. Or do a lot of good, rather. Even outside games. Uh, other good things have roots that we might, uh, might rather not talk or think about. Where do we draw the line? Thanks, Andy. Hmm. Uh, Rob, where, was it you who said in our Discord channel this weekend or maybe this morning that do we have to start making it like a point to like look into like the creators yeah. of like everything we write about because it seems like more and more we're starting to like have it revealed later like ah secretly a shit bag. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's it's becoming an issue now. I think part of that is there are ways that you, it's increasingly separate. It's not just the person in the shitbag, but there's also a lot of examples in games where uh, the work was produced in an exploitative environment, uh, where the creator has sort of taken advantage of collect. Well, you know, the the credited cr uh, creator uh, has sort of taken advantage of collaborators. Uh, so, I mean, there's a lot of cases where that stuff should probably be born in context uh, regardless, which is a little bit different than like, you know, just a personal morality versus, uh, you know, uh, creative work uh, thing. This is th th those are issues where I see them being a little more connected. But at the same time, it does increasingly feel like... Um, <laughs> I don't like how often it feels like if you scratch beneath the surface of like, hey, who made this? Uh, there's a decent chance of being unpleasantly surprised. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, th I think that's totally fair. I mean, that's, um, and I think we've—I don't know if we've talked about this question on Waypoint Radio before, but it's you know it's something that comes up every couple of years, uh, pretty often, in, in all sorts of media of like you know what do you do when something you enjoy is revealed to have you know folks that worked on it in which you disagree with either actions uh, they've taken or or the, like their politics. You know, and Shadow Complex is sort of the you know the prime example of this um, uh, from a number of years ago and I think is is, is still decently instructive um, to this day where it's like, that game was a really good uh, Metroid-style game. Like, I really fucking liked Shadow Complex a lot. And, like, what do you do when you find out that Orson Scott Card, you know, has said a bunch of and contributed to, like, about a lot of really shitty things about um, homosexuals? Like, how do you reconcile all of those things? And... Sometimes you end up not reconciling it and saying, uh, I guess I'll donate some money to a good cause, but I still want to enjoy this game. Um, like, I think all of us are certainly uh, guilty of being, like, a hypocrite um, because we like a thing a lot and we find a way to look past it or we find a way to, to rationalize it. Um, and that's not me saying that the, you can't enjoy Shadow Complex. Like I just said, I, I just did. And I think this is going to come up a lot with uh, all sorts of different games, you know, especially in an era where people's politics are like a lot more on their sleeves, um, which means that we know a lot more about 
uh, creators and and how they feel, and that's going to make us feel awfully complicated uh, when that uh, comes up. I mean, I think I'd rather know than not know, and then just try to work through what it means when I err on the side of in- continuing to enjoy a thing, even if that creator uh, has done things that upset me or, or made me feel conflicted. Um, there's like no good answer to this. Like it's it's like one, it's case by case. Like how egregious is the infraction? Yeah. Um, yeah. Is it just that they said? something shitty on Twitter or did they commit sexual assault, right? Like there's a whole range of like what we're talking about that I think influences how you would ultimately fall on it. Like, is it just one person on a really large team? Like, you know, that changes the dynamic of how you might feel uh, about that. Um, you know, was the, was it like forcefully condemned by the people around them once it like became clear that it was, was bad. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, again, like whenever this comes up, I always feel bad because I don't have, uh, there's no, uh, you know, magic wand to wave to, to make this feel good. It's always going to feel uncomfortable. So I think, like, my best advice onto it is always to just engage with why it's uncomfortable and to talk about it and then kind of see where you fall on, on it from a case-by-case basis. Yeah. I think one thing that uh, it sounded like, Rob, maybe you were getting at is is there is some something of a difference between okay, the labor of making this game, there was some sort of exploitation in, like, the mm-hmm. labor itself versus... Oh, this creator is an asshole. You know that kind of thing. Uh, that might be one way of approaching it. I don't know that that's like a, the only way of approaching it, or you know, definitely not. The amount of harm that someone does is is an incredibly complicated thing to wrestle with, as you're saying, Patrick. Of course, uh, that like the amount of harm they do in the world is incredibly difficult to gauge, right? Versus the amount of harm they're doing by making a certain thing or, or putting a certain piece of work into the world, right? Like it's. Like, I, here, I'll be the first to admit this. Like, I love Eminem. Like, I have loved a lot of his music, and I'm a fucking feminist. <laughs> and, like, he sure wrote a lot of songs about killing women. Like, it, that's a thing. That's a real thing that I will probably forever wrestle with. So I, I think I like some of the most problematic things in the universe and will engage with them and always attempt to be honest with myself about what I like about something versus what I think is a real problem and how much you want to put your money towards somebody you think is doing real harm in the world. So that's one of those, it's between you and you and your maker kind of questions sometimes uh, that you just kind of have to work through. So, yeah. Good luck. Yep, good luck. <laughs> good luck. Enjoy. <laughs> uh, I think that's probably good for us. Um, so I'm going to go through the, the usual. Uh, Patrick, where can people find you online? Find me at Patrick Hook. Awesome. Rob, where can people find you? At Rob Zachney. Oh, that's awesome. You both you both have really easy ones. It makes me happy. It's really, <laughs> it's really, really good. I'm at Danielle R. I. I guess that one's not too tough either. Uh, if you use my whole name, it would just be like every vowel and just it would, be, it would get confusing. So Danielle R. I. for me. And of course, if you have questions, you can send them to gaming at vice.com with the subject question. It's not gaming advice. It's gaming at vice.com. Just in case you ever uh, mishear that one, that's what it is. Uh, shout outs to Bowen for letting us use his track, Miss You, off of the EP Pale Machine. Shout outs, of course, always to all our friends uh, who helped produce this podcast, Rob Schulte. Uh, and, uh, you know, of course, everybody who helps us out on the Waypoint team. Uh, you can follow all the stuff we do at waypoint.vice.com. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at Waypoint Vice. You can find us on Twitter at Waypoint. You can find us on YouTube at Waypoint Vice. And we will actually be updating that again very soon. Thankfully, we, we, uh, you know, we might be having some, some extra help there. And that, that, uh, that's going to be an announcement soon, I think. So thank you all so much. And forever... Be good or be good at it. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. 
quince.com slash style. 